Welcome to this podcast message from Kingdom Faith Church. This message is by Colin Urquhart. Now we know that in the spirit we have been made totally acceptable to God, even made holy and perfect in his sight. What we want is to see that holiness, that sanctified life, as much as possible of the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed in our souls, because that's the person you are uh, that the world sees. You encounter God with your spirit, but you encounter the world with your soul. So what is in the spirit has to then be reflected in your soul life. And Paul says here in chapter 2 of of 2 Corinthians, verse 14, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So what God is doing is giving us the knowledge of him, the knowledge of what he's done, the knowledge of what he's made possible. God's purpose is the fragrance of what we have, the sweet perfume, the sweet smell, the sweetness of his spirit will be reflected in our soul and that fragrance will flow out of our bodies. That means out of the things we say and do so that the world will see, will taste, will smell, if you like, that sweet perfume of Jesus through us. So in verse 15, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Okay, so this obviously can only be accomplished through the Holy Spirit. This is why the Holy Spirit here and his activity is in red. Everything has to be the work of the Spirit. So if you look at chapter 3, verse 4, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. This is where our confidence is before God, in the Spirit. Because this is where we relate to the Lord. So this is our confidence before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves. That means we have no ability in ourselves no competence in the soul, in other words, uh, to claim anything for ourselves. But our competence, our ability to fulfill the will of God, comes from God. So there is nothing in ourselves, in our self-life, in our natural life, that will enable 
the fulfilling of God's purposes. The only way in which his purposes can be fulfilled are by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the Holy Spirit has to influence, has to work through the soul in order for God's purposes to be realized in our lives. So then Paul encourages the Corinthians to say, he, in verse 6, he has made us competent as members of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. If you try to fulfill the will of God with your soul life, you end up in legalism. It can only truly be outworked in the power of the Spirit. And we're not called to be ministers of the letter, but ministers of the Spirit. So the Spirit and the Word are working together. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills. Why It kills the, the life of the Spirit because you're trusting in yourself and not in Christ in you. But the Spirit gives life. So we are ministers of this new covenant, all of us. It's the new covenant of the Spirit, not of the law, not of the letter. And the glory, Paul goes on to explain, the glory of this new covenant is so much greater than the glory of the old covenant. So if you go down to verse 16, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, now, we talked about that extensively last term. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, you have freedom in your spirit because the Spirit of the Lord is there. But you only have freedom in your soul life when the Spirit is in charge of your soul life. And you, therefore, only have freedom in your body when the Spirit is actually allowed to be in control of what is happening in your soul life or your self-life. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Just because you have the freedom of the Spirit in your spirit does not mean that you will have freedom in your soul or even in your body, unless... The soul and the body are so submitted to the spirit that the spirit can infuse, can fill the life of your soul with his activity, with his presence, with his life, with his power. So Paul explains, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. Now you have the glory here because you have the glory of the risen Christ here. Jesus prayed before he went to the cross and said of all those who have become believers, I have given them the glory that you gave me. So this glory has to be reflected in our souls. Why? So that we are transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So this increase, this transformation, this enabling us to become more and more glorious has to come from the Spirit. 
Now turn to Philippians chapter 2. We referred to this yesterday. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So how is all this going to be outworked in your life? In the same way that it was outworked in the life of Jesus. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself his self-life. Let's just put the word self up there to remind us. He made himself nothing. In other words, even though he was sharing our humanity, his humanity, his humanity to him was nothing. He made himself nothing in order to share the fact, the reality, that in our soul life we are totally incapable of pleasing God unless the Holy Spirit is impacting our soul life and working through our soul life. The only way in which we can please God is by the Spirit. Nothing that originates from ourselves, but only that which originates from him. Are we there? So he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Remember, that means he emptied himself of the glory that he had in heaven and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So he submitted his soul and his body, his natural life, completely to God in order that the will of God could then be expressed, could be outworked in his life. And Paul is saying, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Okay, so we see that this is the purpose of God. That can only obviously be outworked by us submitting our souls to the Holy Spirit, keeping our souls under the influence and power, under the rule and the reign of God. Now, this means that what we have to develop is a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, everything that Jesus did was to make the Father known and to bring us into relationship with the Father. Jesus could not have come to live in you until he had first made you totally acceptable to the Father. So the cross and the blood was all about Jesus Christ making you acceptable to the Father. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So we relate to Jesus, but we relate also to the Father, because the Father and he are one. So it's just as important when we're worshiping to worship the Father as to worship the Son. But we need, therefore, personal relationship with God as Father because we are his children. 
Children need to relate to their father. But we need also to have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit enables our relationship with Jesus and the Father on a day-to-day basis. What Jesus has done has made this relationship with God possible, but the only way to live in that relationship is in the power through the person of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is to be personal to us. Personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Calling upon the Spirit, depending upon the Spirit throughout the day, every day. Not trusting in ourselves, not doing things in our own strength, but in the power of the Spirit. So the more you depend upon your soul life, uh, in your soul life, upon the Spirit, the more the Spirit will affect your thinking, the control of your emotions, and the decisions you make with your will. Right, now, we'll come back to that in a moment. First, we have to understand that the enemy would do anything possible to prevent this process from taking place. We saw yesterday that the enemy cannot take out of your spirit what God has put there. He can't take away the Holy Spirit. He can't take away Christ in you. He can't take away the life of the kingdom that God has put within you. So all you he can do is try to prevent this whole process of the Holy Spirit impacting your soul life so that the will and purpose of God, his sovereign will, can be outworked in your life. Now, how does he do this? What we have to understand is that the devil isn't a man, and the spiritual forces that acknowledge the devil and that he uses are just that, spiritual entities, spiritual forces. So there are other spirits that are going to attack every believer. Now, those spirits cannot get to your spirit. They cannot attack your spirit. They can only attack your soul and your body. Which means they will attack your mind, your thinking, will try to stir up all the wrong emotions, to try to divert your will from the will of God, actually to the will of the enemy. Many Christians are deceived, at least in part. And the reason why they are deceived is they do not understand that other spiritual forces can influence them. 
They think, therefore, that because they have the Holy Spirit, every sort of supernatural or spiritual thing that seems to influence their experience must come from the Holy Spirit. Wrong. That's why they get deceived. As soon as a believer thinks he can't get deceived, he is already deceived. And this is why in the New Testament there are so many warnings against deception. John says we are to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. We are to test whatever we're hearing to make sure it's coming from the right spirit and not the wrong spirit. Because these wrong spirits will be attacking virtually all the time, even when you pray. So just because you have a thought when you pray does not mean that it necessarily comes from God. And when people sort of pray a prayer over you and speak words of you does not necessarily mean those are from the Holy Spirit. All those words need to be tested. And you know that means that we have to be prepared to be wrong sometimes to be misguided, to be misled. When I was learning all about these things of the Spirit and the revival in, in Luton, uh, of course, we were discovering prophecy. Prophecy was not something that was generally being exercised in churches in those days. And uh, so, you know, we didn't have anybody to teach us uh, about all this. And so I was in the position, really, of having to test the things that people were bringing in the prayer meeting. And there were times when it was necessary to say, just a minute, that was not the Holy Spirit. It wasn't necessarily the wrong spirit. It could just be the soul. And a lot of, a lot of words that Christians pray over their fellow believers come from the soul, not from the spirit. But if they come from the soul, then they're not going to be fulfilled. Only that which comes from the spirit is going to be fulfilled. Can you understand that? But sometimes, you know, we can be misled, or there can be a wrong spirit, and so I would bring correction. Now, you would think that that would stifle the gift, the use of the gift of prophecy, it had the very opposite effect. Because, you see, the people would say to me, you know, we have the freedom to bring what we think is right because we know that you will test it. And if it isn't right, then, then you will tell us and there'll be no condemnation. Nobody will feel bad about that. In fact, they will feel relieved that they were not misleading people. So you see, if, if we do things in a biblical way, that inspires confidence. It doesn't undermine confidence. So things really need to be tested. I, I've been in some very interesting situations. There was one time when I was speaking, uh, not all that long ago, in a, in a Pentecostal church, and just before the sermon, a woman got up and, and prophesied something that was off the wall. 
And so, you know, I said at the beginning uh, of my message, I said, now before I start to preach, I must just refer to that word that has been brought because it was not from God. Well, I mean, you could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. Everybody was suddenly, what? And it transpired afterwards that this woman did this every week. And a lot of people were very uncomfortable about it, but the leadership had never addressed the situation. Uh, and, and you see, if you allow a spirit of deception into a meeting, the whole meeting goes into deception because something hasn't been corrected that needed to be corrected. Can you understand this? Now, how does, how do, does the enemy work through these, they are in fact demonic forces, but how does he work through them? Well, some of them are unclean spirits that want to put unclean thoughts into the mind, especially, you know, at the most holy moments. It's amazing how many people, when they're about to receive communion, have unclean thoughts. And it disturbs them, it upsets them. This is, this, is, this is to be, you know, some real personal fellowship with God and suddenly all these wrong thoughts come in. Well, that's the enemy. You don't want to have those thoughts at that time. And what the devil does, you see, is he uses these demonic forces. It's not the devil himself. But the, these demonic forces, they, they, they create the wrong thoughts and then... Because he's the accuser of the brethren, he accuses you of having them. So he gives the wrong thoughts and he follows that with an accusation. How can you be holy when you have thoughts like that? But he's the one that put the thoughts there. Those thoughts did not come from your spirit. They did not come from the Holy Spirit. They did not come from Christ within. They did not come from the life of the kingdom that you have within you. They're not anything to do with the rule and the reign of Christ. So, you see, Jesus says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Everybody that is not a believer is already under the power and authority of the devil. So, uh, he doesn't need to accuse them. They're already living in condemnation. Jesus is very clear about that. But what he wants to do for Christians who live in Christ Jesus and for whom therefore there is no condemnation, he wants to try to bring them into false condemnation. So he sows all these wrong kinds of minds and emotions, the way you react to situations and to other people, offense, if somebody upsets you, offense is the work of the devil. Offense is the work of a wrong spirit. The wrong spirit stirs up these feelings of offense. And offense creates division. <clears throat> <It's> <clears throat> and of course, if you take offense, you sin. But then this is the devil's desire to try to get you to sin. So we have to take the shield of faith against all the fiery darts of the enemy. And many of those fiery darts are the thoughts that he wants to fire into our thinking 
and the way in which he wants to stir up the wrong emotions, the wrong feelings, the wrong attitudes, because the mind and the emotions work very closely together. Wrong thinking produces the wrong feelings. So he is, he is trying to counter the purposes of God in bringing our souls under the dominion of the Spirit. The devil would like to have control of your soul. He would like you to be deceived to do that. But if he can't do that, at least he wants to encourage you to be soulish. In other words, for you to make decisions out of your own thinking and reason instead of being submitted to the Holy Spirit. Now, you find, with a little bit of experience, pastoral experience, that, as I said the other day, the devil's got no new tricks because he knows that the old ones always work pretty well. And one of the chief ways in which the enemy works in the souls of believers is to unsettle them. Now, this is common. This is happening all over the place all the time. In other words, he tries to get believers to think you're in the wrong place. You shouldn't be here. You should leave. Now, when God wants us to leave one situation to go to another, it's because he's calling us into something new. And you can only fulfill that call by actually leaving where you are. But God never calls somebody to leave for the sake of leaving. That is always the enemy. And you'll find that all around the body of Christ, there are people that have left churches because they feel, felt unsettled. I'll come back to that in a minute. That They feel unsettled. They make the decision to leave, but they've got no leading from the Holy Spirit to go anywhere else, so they go nowhere. So now they're being disobedient because the Word of God says, do not, give, do not stop meeting together. But now they're not meeting together with anybody because actually they've been deceived. But you talk to them and they won't admit to being deceived. They say, no, no, the Spirit was leading me. Yes, the Spirit, but not the Holy Spirit. This is a spirit of deception. So you see, what God wants is for us to have peace in our souls. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The very thing the enemy wants to do is to disturb your peace. Because if you have no peace then you think, well, I'm in the wrong place. That's why I have peace. No, no, that's why I don't have peace. No, 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 no. It's that you're listening to the wrong voice. That's why you don't have peace. Are you there? So we have to understand that the enemy is always going to try to move me. Whereas in fact... If I'm going to be obedient to the Lord, only the Holy Spirit will move me. 
That's why when we come to make significant decisions, we should always submit what we're hearing. Now, that does not mean you go to your spiritual leader and say, I'm moving. You see, that is it's actually rebellion. But uh, that, that is the, the fruit of deception. You see, that's not submitting something. That's saying, I've come to a decision and this is what I'm going to do. That's the soul. It's never the spirit. If you submit something, you want it to be checked out. You're being humble enough to understand, yes, I can hear the voice of the Spirit, but also other spirits can try to influence me and impact my life and lead me away from God's best purposes. I speak the word of God with authority. Now, I've done that for many, many years. Shall I tell you why? Shall I tell you how that happened? When I was at Luton, when I began to travel after that, people would always say to me, you speak with such authority. Shall I tell you why? Because whenever I spoke, I always believed I might be wrong. Now, that might surprise you. But never, ever, ever was my attitude, everything I say is right. You see, if you have a ministry that is affecting thousands of people, millions of people, through books, television, radio, and, and all the, you have a tremendous responsibility because people are going to, their lives are going to be impacted and affected and sometimes the course of their whole lives are going to be changed or decided out of what they hear as a result of your ministry. So you want everything you say to be right and true. Therefore, you have to be in that position where all the time you are submitting what you're saying to God and you don't get on some proud kick of thinking, everything I say is right, it's anointed, it's God, it's the Spirit. No, 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 no. All, all my prayer especially in the early days, but still now, is, Lord, do not allow me to say anything that is not right. And to take authority over any other spirit that would want to try to influence, to get in in just a sentence. Especially if you've got a ministry like mine where you see... What you're saying is you're listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm not deciding what to say. I'm listening. I'm letting the Holy Spirit. So if I'm letting the Holy Spirit work through, I've got to make sure that no other spirit is going to get in as well. Now, I'm only telling you this, you see, because the people not to listen to are those who think they're right. I'm right. This is the Lord. I'm sure. I'm certain. This is God. When somebody comes to me, with that kind of attitude, I know they're almost likely to be deceived. Because when the Holy Spirit is actually speaking to us, you don't have to have a soulish reaction like that. 
And the way in which actually to bring prophetic words from God is not, thus says the Lord God. But wait a minute, we've got to test it to see whether it is the Lord God or not, according to the word of God. But if you say, I believe the Lord is saying, boom, 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 I believe at this moment this is what God is saying. You are submitting what you believe to be the word of God. That's the way to bring prophecy. There are times when somebody does have such a, such a word from God that it, you, you know everybody knows, that was God. But most prophetic utterances don't, don't really come into that kind of category. Not, not the ones I've heard at meetings anyway. So <clears throat> we've got to be on the watch. We've got to be vigilant. Because the devil is prowling around looking for an opportunity. Now, what is the opportunity? What opportunities do we give him? Primarily, pride. You see, God raises up the humble, but he resists the proud. So the one who thinks, I'm right, I'm always right, this is it, that's pride. You see, if you're humble then you have the attitude, well, this is my understanding of the word of God. I might be wrong, but I believe this to be the truth. Holy Spirit, just keep me walking in the truth. You're living in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You're building relationship with the Holy Spirit. Can you understand? Are we all at the same meeting here? So don't allow the enemy to disturb you. Because that's what he does. He disturbs your sense of peace and of well-being if you listen to the wrong voice. What the Holy Spirit wants to do is to give us assurance. But the assurance doesn't come from those proud self-attitudes, but from dependence upon him. So, you know, I and you, but I just want to show you the, how to, this has to be worked out in practice. I have to depend upon the Holy Spirit. I would not dare to address you ever without dependence on the Holy Spirit, without praying that the Holy Spirit will give me the word, that the Holy Spirit will speak through me, not me, but Christ in me. But you see, that dependence in what we say and do has to come out of a life of dependence upon him, a relationship of dependence upon the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work, you see, if you're depending upon your own soul life you're proud, your self righteousness, you're thinking that you're always right and you have the revelation of truth, you know. 
to put others to shame. Uh, and then you come to a situation where you need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. And what you've been doing before that is very soulish and depending upon yourself. You can't sort of switch horses. God wants to see that consistency in our lives that we're living in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. So when we come to speak, the Holy Spirit will speak through us. When we come to act, we will enable the Holy Spirit to work through us in the way that he desires. It's all to do with relationship. It's not just because I'm called to do a specific thing, therefore I've got to trust the Holy Spirit to do that specific thing. I mean, that is true, but that has got to come out of a relationship of dependence upon him. A relationship where you are submitted to the Holy Spirit in your life. And what actually happens, you see, is when it is the Spirit, you do speak with authority. Now, that doesn't mean that you are trying to be authoritative. I remember going to South Africa during the time of apartheid. And we had, we had a, a, a simply amazing move of the Spirit in Cape Town. I mean, it was, it was wonderful. And people saw the different races, black and white and colored people, Worshipping together, intermingling, embracing one another and so on in a way that, of course, didn't happen in society. It wasn't allowed. And all this was happening in these meetings in a way that people at that time had not seen before. This was God, of course. It's the Holy Spirit that was enabling that. And all I was doing was preaching about what it really means to love one another. The command of Jesus, you are to love one another as I have loved you. This was a mission that went on for a few days. But every day I was preaching about this love for one another. And you see, people said to me, but you spoke with such authority that it broke down all these barriers that has existed between us. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I wasn't speaking with authority. I was speaking with love. But you see, if it comes from the Holy Spirit, what they hear is the authority of God, the authority of his word. But it doesn't come because somebody thinks they have authority and they're going to speak with authority and they're going to impress everybody with their authority. See, where does authority come from? You've heard me say this many times. It comes from your submission to his authority. If you submit to his authority, then he can express his authority through you. Even if all you're doing is speaking in love. And I went on to other places and we saw the same thing. There's uh, that mission in Cape Town, in the cathedral there. I mean, the cathedral was packed. There were people standing outside that couldn't get in listening through the windows to what God was doing. Oh, Lord. 
You know, I think, <laughs> bring those days back, Lord. <laughs> uh, where there was such hunger, such hunger for God, such need of God in, in those circumstances, but such a hunger for him. I mean, there was one day, I mean, the bishop was, had, had invited me, the archbishop, he was the archbishop there. He had invited me, and, and there was one evening where we could hardly get into the cathedral. We were literally stepping over bodies to get into and up to the front where the pulpit was. And the dean of the cathedral turned up and couldn't get in himself to his own cathedral. There was just such a pack of people, press of people. He said, I, he said, I just turned around and went home. He said, I just couldn't get in. So, <laughs> praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Anyway, forgive me for reminiscing. But, uh, but you see, it, it isn't that we try to be authoritative. But if we are dependent upon the Spirit, we will speak and we will act with authority. So we know that God has given us authority over all the power of the evil one so that nothing will harm us. So when these things come against us, in whatever form they come against us, we not only have the shield of faith to repel the attacks, but we have the authority to overcome. So this is another exercise of authority. It's not that we simply speak and act with authority because of our dependence upon the Holy Spirit, but we deliberately take that authority that God has given us in order to overcome. And that's why we began with that scripture that Christ always leads us in his triumphant procession. Where we have dependence upon the Holy Spirit, we have victory in the soul life. We will overcome whatever comes against the soul life. Even if the enemy tries to disturb us, disrupt us, to make us feel we're not in the right place or not doing the right thing and so on. No, we say, ah, blah, 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 blah. I mean, he, he does it all the time, doesn't he? You, you know when you pray, most of the, most, during most of the day, you can concentrate fairly well on what you're doing. But when you start to pray, that's when concentration becomes difficult. And your mind can easily wander under all kinds of other things. Why? Because the enemy wants, doesn't want you to pray. He knows that you're most dangerous to him when you're praying. Because you express your dependence upon the Lord when you pray. So, of course, he comes against you. He wants to disrupt your prayer. He wants to try to, to make you feel that your prayer is rubbish. He's a nasty piece of work. But, you know, we want to keep the focus on the positive. Not to get so wrapped up with the negative. But, we, but we've got to be aware that the blood of Jesus has overcome all the negatives. And he's given us authority, therefore, to exercise uh, that power that God gives us to put all these enemies to flight. But, you see, what does the scripture say? Submit yourself to God then resist the enemy and he'll flee from you uh, you, you know you, you learn that okay you're praying and you're having a good time with the Lord then gee, 
Some other thought comes from right field. What do you do? I confront that thought with the blood of Jesus. Get out. And then you go on praying. They've got no answer to the blood. See, you don't have to make a big song and dance of it. You just let the enemy know, no way. I'm not being distracted by that kind of stuff. Get out. Then you get on with your prayer. See, he, he, the enemy wants to make you feel that you're, you're no good at praying because you get all these other thoughts intervening. And, and, you know, you're a silly Charlie if you don't take your shield of faith and exercise the authority and say, well, get out. Don't make a big song and dance. Just get out. Confront you with the blood of Jesus. And then you get on with your prayer. It's quite simple, really, isn't it? Hallelujah. So, there's a spiritual battle that often goes on in the soul. What we want is for God to take us beyond this. So that we're walking victoriously. Now, last night, we began by looking at 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul is writing to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Some of you in the second year have just written your essays on holiness movements, and Some of them are exceedingly good because you've really grappled with the issue, how does sanctification actually take place? And the various different doctrines that have arisen over the centuries as to how that sanctification actually works in our lives so that we live holy lives with the soul and the body. And I'm not going to go into all the the different theologies and doctrines that have arisen in different holiness movements, interesting though it is. But what you have to understand is that you never create doctrine from experience. Doctrine always has to come from the word. And each of these theologies all look to the word of God for their authentication. And you think, well, how can people have different perceptions of how we actually live in holiness in a practical way when there are these different doctrines. Now, the answer to that is simple, that God has different ways of bringing different people to the same conclusion. You see, some people have a sort of climatic experience 
of meeting with God in his holiness. This is what happened in my life. And there is a sudden transformation into a, a, a relationship with God where they lose all desire to sin and they're walking in, in holiness and in unity with Jesus and his life and his love and power can flow through their lives in a way that wasn't possible before. Now, that's fine. Some people experience that. And it wasn't just me, it was all of us that were together at that time. But if you turn that into a theology and say, everybody in order to live a sanctified life has to have an encounter like that, you have created a doctrine which is not necessarily correct. Some people will come to this place of sanctification in that way. Other people, you see, have said, no, what you need is a, a, another faith, faith for justification to be saved, but faith also for sanctification to be made holy. And so there are movements of faith, and that works for some people. Because, yes, just as they had faith for justification, they say, right, now I need faith for sanctification in my life. Other people look at the scripture that we quoted earlier and see that sanctification, this life of being made holy, is a process. And God leads me step by step through this process. Now, you can look at scriptures and you can justify all three of those. And there are other ways too, but that's enough to be going on with. You, you can justify all three, but if you then say this is the way that everybody is going to come into a sanctified life, then you have created a bondage. What matters is that God brings all of us into the place where he wants us to be, where the holiness that we have in the spirit is really being expressed in our soul life. And we don't need to get all, you know, worked up about this word holy. It simply means that Christ-likeness, his love especially, his power, his life, his joy, his peace, all the, all the sort of the constituent parts of his holiness, of, of who he is, will be increasingly expressed in our lives. But what is common to all these different theologies about sanctification is that none of them will operate or work in a person's life unless that's the desire of the believer. That's the key. God will only enable by his spirit the outworking of this sanctification in our soul life, if that is what you earnestly desire and therefore that is what you are seeking for him to do in your life. The way in which he does it will be different from one person to another, but he will do it when it's your desire. You may have one of these dramatic encounters with him. God may bring you to a place of faith where I believe now I have that sanctification and you begin to see it outworked in your life 
or you see God doing this progress. However he does it, he would do it. But only when it's the desire of your heart. Now, what we have to appreciate is that this is the desire of his heart. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy in all you do. This is the heart of God. Let the life of the spirit of holiness be working in your soul. The enemy doesn't want that. Your flesh doesn't want that. If you want that holiness, you're not going to want to watch violence, explicit sex, war movies, things that are not consistent with God's holy purposes. You say, well, that doesn't leave me much to watch, only cricket and arsenal. <laughs> Both of which will test your faith in the present circumstances. <laughs> But you see, if, if you decide to please the soul with what is contradictory to God's holy purposes, how can you say, I really desire what God desires for me? And we've seen that what, what he desires is for our good is for the best. Are you there? This is where the soul would like to hold on to certain things that the soul finds attractive. That you want. But if we're going to be serious about God's best purposes in our lives, then we can't fool around. And you see, this is where we come back to yesterday morning, the decision that we need to make to say no to the kind of things that the soul the flesh, the self, desires. That will be a constant battle until you lose your soul. You make that decision. Once you've made that decision, you can have victory.
will of God can prosper in your life. Does this mean God's a killjoy? No. These things I've said to you, that my joy may be in you. Not the joy of the flesh that passes away, but my eternal joy. And that your joy will be full. So you rejoice always. You give thanks in all circumstances. Because you have the victory. So, if Christ always leads us in his triumphant procession, what are we being triumphant about? Well, we're being triumphant over all these attacks of the enemy. Even the attacks on the body with sickness and tiredness and all kinds of other things. But we're also, we're also living in victory over self. that's the most significant victory. Some of you are looking very thoughtful this morning. That's good. See, we, in the natural, like to think, yeah, well, I want the will of God, but, you know, there are certain things, well, might be a bit iffy, but... I can cope with them. Huh? If they're iffy, they're not right. If they're not helpful, they're not right. There are some things that may not be wrong in themselves, but they're not helpful, the scripture says. And if they're not helpful, they're not right. They're not right for you. This will also <coughs> impinge not only on your own personal self-life, but on relationship. See, there can be some relationships that we would like, but they're not right. I've lost count of the number of Christians that have come to me with problems of relationship where they want a relationship to be right, they're praying for it to be right, and they're wondering why God doesn't make that relationship what they want it to be. When in fact, if they listen to the Holy Spirit, he is telling them it's not right. Maybe what you want, but it's not right. It's not what I want for you. Down the road, I've got something so much better for you. Which is why you don't have any peace and you don't see me trying to make what is not right, right. I will never do that to you. I love you too much to do that. 
So I'm never going to cause you to prosper in something that isn't right. Mm -hmm. Are we getting this? Praise God. So, beloved ones, we're at this crucial point now where God says to us, simple question, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want to be holy as I am holy? The devil will say, no. Your flesh will say, yes, but... And the spirit will say, there's no buts. Goats but, but sheep say yes. And you're not a goat, you're a sheep. For those of you who English is not your first language, don't worry, you missed that, but don't worry about it. It's not necessary to salvation. So what do you want? Because, you see, the nature of the soul, of the self-life, is you always get what you want. You live however you choose to live. I mean, this is true of everybody, not just of us. You choose to live for what you want. When you go shopping, you get what you want. The soul will decide to watch what it wants, whether it's good or bad or different. Oh, I delight to do your will, oh God. Easy to say, isn't it? Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Easy to say. God hears us say it, and he says, is that what you really want? Because I will give you what you really want. Because I answer the heart. And I don't look on the outward appearance. I look upon the heart. The devil would say, oh, you're too young to worry about holiness. Enjoy yourself first and then you can be sanctified. Uh But he's the liar. He's the deceiver. Kick him out. 
nice to have somebody that you're allowed to kick in the teeth. <laughs> take all your aggression out on the enemy, then you won't take it out on anybody else. <laughs> Praise God. Are you too young for the purposes of God? Here's what you desire to say, Lord, not yet. That is, in effect, saying, no, Lord. But if you say yes, it has to come from the heart. And when it comes to the heart, no matter how he does it, don't worry about all the different theologies. He'll have different ways of doing it, but he'll do it. But, you see, I'm talking about the desire, not a begrudging, well, I suppose so, if it's your will, I suppose so, Lord. Work it in me, Lord. So, no, 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 no. Not until it's what you want. Not until it's the desire of your heart. Then I'll do it. And then my life will flow through your life and out of you and produce a harvest. Thirty, sixty, a hundred times what was sown. So, as always, the key is not to look at yourself, and, but to look at him. Just before we pray, I want you to consider this. Think of Jesus. Jesus, during the time of his humanity... And he gathers this group of disciples around him. And he sees the ways in which they often fail and get things wrong. They don't understand. Even when he gives them revelation, there are all kinds of issues between them. When it comes to the real time of testing, when he's arrested, they all go off and leave him. He knows that one of them will betray him, but, but what about the rest? 
yet, despite all that he sees of their failure, their incompetence, their lack of faith sometimes, he's got a longing in his heart. And he's longing to come and live in them. These failures. These unreliable. They love him, but so inconsistent. And yet he's longing to come and live in them. Because he knows that when he lives in them, their lives can become so different. And he can extend his rule and his reign from within them and his kingdom will increase. With the increase of his government, there will be no end. So he's longing to come and live in them. And if you put yourself in the position of those disciples, you see, God sees all kinds of rubbish about us before we became believers. Yet he had this longing, this desire to come and live in you. And the Father gives Jesus what he desires. So now he lives in you. Despite all your weakness, despite the failure, despite this, that, and the other. Because that's what he wanted. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will and to the praise of his glorious grace. He wanted to live in you. He longed for that like he longed for the time of the first disciples. But why? so that you can go on living a soulish life? No. So that now you can share his life and know his life that is so much better than your natural soulish life. His desire was for you to have the best. And to say no to the rubbish of the enemy who wants to hinder you. Even say no to self, but yes to Jesus.
So is your desire for him going to match his desire for you? We love because he first loved us. Let's all stand. A little bit different this morning, eh? Let's close our eyes. Uh, we need a truth session, don't we, for the next few moments. We always need truth sessions. We've got to be truthful before the Lord. Do you want what he wants? How much do you want what he wants? Is it a begrudging? Well, I suppose I ought to be holy. Or do you want this to be the longing, the longing of your heart? Oh Lord, I long, I long for your will, for your purpose, for your best desires for me to be fulfilled. I long for this, Lord. I'm ready to run after you, Lord, in whatever way is necessary for you to work this in me. So your life isn't shut up in my spirit. But that spirit of holiness is flooding my soul life. Pouring out of my body is river of life to impact the lives of others. It sounds very quiet. Why don't you start to pray? Is this asking a lot of you? It's simply asking what Jesus asks of you. He says, this is what it is to be a disciple. See, what causes hesitation is love of self. That's what has to die, isn't it? Then there's no hesitation to what he wants.
He wants to make you a man or woman of authority, you see. Because the authority doesn't come from your soul, it comes from the spirit. It comes because he rules and reigns in your life. Can we dare to want what he wants? Can you dare to surrender yourself to what he wants? Still very quiet. Is there a cry in your heart for what God wants for you? Father, Papara Sandara Basito. Oh, Lord, 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 Lord. Oh, Papa Papara Sandaria Leto Bacala Sitaria Leto Bacala Santo. O papara sandaria leto pakala sita di santo. O papara sandaria leto pakala sita di santo. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Papaparia leto pakala sita di sandara basino. O papara sandaria leto pakala sita. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled about your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted for the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
Hallelujah. Come on, let's put the enemy to rout. We're not listening to all the lies, to all the deception of the powers of darkness. We take the shield of faith. We confront all those powers with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not going to have any influence over our souls or our bodies. They are the property of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not listening to your lies. You are not going to disturb our peace. You are not going to make us restless. You are not going to counter the work of the Spirit in our lives. We refuse to allow you to do that. We are free to respond to the voice of God, to the will of God. We're not listening to your lies. We're not listening to any of your deception. We're serving you notice. We're devoting ourselves to the spirit of truth who will guide us into all truth, to the spirit of holiness who will enable us to be holy in all we do. In all we do. So Lord, I say no to all the ways in which the enemy would want me to be soulish. Want me to live to please myself. Would want me to rejoice in things that are not your joy. Not your will. I say no to him. I say no to all those devious workings of the evil one. No, no, no. But I say yes to you, Jesus. I say yes to you, Lord. I say yes to your will for me. I thank you that according to that will, you longed to come and live in me. I cannot imagine why, but you longed to live in me. And now you have come to live in me. And Lord, you live in me because you want me to live a sanctified life. A life that is pleasing to you. A life that reflects your glory. A life, Lord, that is lived under your sovereign rule and reign. So, Lord, this morning I submit myself afresh to you. In my spirit, in my soul, in my body. I submit myself to your will, to your pleasure, to that which will glorify you. And Lord, I understand that there's going to be a cost, but the cost will only be to the flesh. The cost will only be to that self-life that is, is only going to get in the way of your best purposes. But I thank you, Lord. It is for freedom you have set me free. And the cost is as nothing compared with the cost that you paid for me in order to make it possible for you to come to live in me. 
So I thank you, Lord. I bless you and I praise you. Come on, let's really thank the Lord. Oh, papara sandalia leto pakala situ di sandalia leto pakala situ di sandalia. Oh, papara sandalia leto pakala situ di sandalia. Oh, papara sandalia leto pakala situ di sandalia. Oh, papara sandalia leto pakala situ di sandalia. Oh, papara. You see, at, the, at this point, the enemy could say to you, why don't you leave? This is, just, this is just getting too much. This is getting beyond you. No, 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 no. You're in the place of God's appointing. You're in the place of God's anointing. Amen. He's going to do great and wonderful work in you this week. He's already doing it. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Papakalas, come on, let's pray in the spirit. Papara sandalia leto bakalasita di sandalia leto bakalasita. Papapara sandalia leto bakalasita di sandalia. Oh, papara sandalia leto bakalasita di sandalia. Oh, papara sandalia leto bakalasita di sandalia. Oh, papapa kalasandaria leto bakalasita di sandalia. Oh, papara sandalia leto bakalasita di sandalia. O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandana O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandana O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandalia lero pakala sinana O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandalia lero pakala sita O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandana O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandalia lero pakala sita di sandana O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandalia lero pakala sita. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandama. O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandalia lero pakala sita. O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandalia lero pakala sita. O papa papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandama. O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandama. O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandama. O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandama. E papara sandalia lero pakala sita di santo. O papara sandalia lero pakala sita pa. O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandama. O papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandarama. E papara sandalia lero pakala sita di sandama. O papara sandalia lero pakala sinama. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. O papara sandalia lero. Now, just before we finish, thank him that you have that holiness within you because you have Christ within you and the word of God says he is our holiness you have the spirit of holiness within you in your spirit and the word of God says he has sanctified you he has sanctified you already in your spirit and now you're going to see the outworking of that sanctification increasingly in your soul life Praise God for that.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're going to become more and more like Jesus. Do the same things as he did. Greater things still even. Hallelujah. Bear much lasting fruit for his glory. Praise you, Jesus. Not, not because of you, but because of Christ in you. Because you're going to give way to Christ. You're going to give way to the Holy Spirit. You're going to give way to the Spirit of holiness. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that your, your plans and purposes for us are so, so wonderful. You're, and that you're working in us what we could never work in for ourselves. And we bless you, we praise you, we exalt you in the mighty, wonderful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I think the Lord means business this week, don't, don't you? You know, when God brings a word like this, you, it doesn't leave you too much room for maneuver, does it, really? He doesn't force us, but you just feel he's hemming you in on every side. That is also scriptural. He hems you in and he just waits. He says, I know you'll do it. I know you'll come to the right decision, the right desire, because that's why you're here. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.